my name is Douglas. I'm one of the family members here at Marathon, and I would like to say this, like uh, always having this opportunity to share, that it's just an honor uh, for me to be able to spend some time in God's Word with you, um, to go a little deeper. And I, I want to say this, last week Andrew did such a good job of hyping your expectations for this week, you know, and consequently hiding heightening my anxiety, so hopefully uh, we'll, we'll have fun today. Um, I want you to start by just pointing to something that's very important in the text and the idea of what we'll be covering today. That as part of our exploration, we'll be forced to move from things that we can see into things that we can't see. And I want that realization to be very clear for us because sometimes in our desire to simplify or to be concise, it's really easy to make things too concrete. And that's not my point or my desire for today. So I want us to to have that in mind. I want us to be able to look at the armor of God from a very spiritual perspective. Now, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been studying the book of Ephesians. Now, in the book of Ephesians, there is something that's very powerful that the author is doing, and that is that he is introducing this concept that if we are joined with Christ, we are given a new identity. Now, this new identity is directly contrasted with the old identity. But then, it is given a perspective that this new identity is not only related to my relationship with Christ or my relationship with you, it actually shapes the way I see the world. It actually shapes how I see suffering, how I see evil in this world. So today, that's gonna be our focus. We will be focusing on a new way, a new lens in which to look at all the pain and suffering that we see around us. Now, if you're using one of these Bibles, we'll be on page 817. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to get up, go get one. If you don't own a Bible, I don't know if I can say this, but since I have the mic. It's a gift. You know, you can take it. Um, I'm sure if they charge me, I'll, I'll be able to afford it. <laughs> Just don't take too many. No. All right, so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, um, and we'll start on verse 13. So Ephesians 6, verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the author here is inviting the readers, the listeners, those that were about 2,000 years ago, hearing this for the first time, to take on the armor of God and to stand as a church, as a community, they stand. And he uses an analogy to do this point, to kind of to help them imagine what this is about. So since we're talking about analogies, I wanted to show you guys a picture. So if you guys could show the first picture. Now, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. This is a picture of an Inuksuk. Now, um, I heard about this a few years ago, and the Inuksuk is a stone or a human-made um, landmark. So people um, in the northern hemisphere, probably like the Arctic area, uh, they would use the Inuksuk for various reasons, for navigation, they would mark places they would help them um, know where to fish, where to hunt. And you have to think about this. This was important because that area does not give a lot of natural landmarks. So it was helpful for them in the tundra. And this is all the way from Alaska to Greenland. You can find these. Um, you can see how it would be helpful to have one place to mark a good fishing spot. Now, that was one way, and they used these places to worship. And, you know, it's very, um, a very complex kind of tradition. Um, the Inuit uh, was one of the groups that kind of used it, and it's just fascinating. But there is one thing that I think will help for us to kind of get a good picture of what Paul is doing here. If you can show the second picture, it will really show the navigational use of the Inuksuk. Now you can see here that you have, you know, almost like a, a window. A window in which you can look that's very close to you and it can point to another Inuksuk. You know, it's kind of one landmark points you to another landmark which will give you the direction to find the third one. And this is what we are experiencing in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13 through 17. And you can keep the picture a little bit because I'll come back for it in a little bit. So think about it. The author is pointing his readers to something that they knew really well. That is the Roman soldier. So that was something that was around them, was part of their world. Now, it is very important that we realize this. The Roman soldier was a sign of power. And it was something that they could point and realize, and that is an example of power. Now, the author is also pointing to a second uh, idea, or he's doing an analogy about another point, and that is God is powerful. He's using a very natural, local thing, like the Roman soldier, and he's connecting that to God. But ultimately, he does something very powerful, and he loops back. And he uses this analogy to speak new life into his church. 
and what it means for a church to stand with God in a spiritual war that is raging around them. Now, if you thought the GRE analogy was hard, this is much more complex, and you can take this down. Um, so you have a first analogy, right? Um, we as a church have done really well exploring this. Kinda, if you've ever heard a sermon about this topic, there's always a focus on understanding how the Roman armor worked. And I think there is a power in that. It is helpful for us to get an idea of what would it be like to have a standing armor, a standing army from another country that you could always point to and be like, I don't have the power. They have the power. That is very powerful imagery. So we've spent a lot of time thinking about that, but I don't think that the author is just kind of trying to kind of give us a glimpse at first century Roman armor and how important it was. He was trying to point us to something else. So I would like for us to do something really difficult. So if you're using your Bible and you are in Ephesians, I want you to put your finger there, you know, something like this, and then I want you to go to another passage of the Bible. Now, if you're using one of these Bibles, it's going to be on page 515. There you'll find the book of Isaiah. Specifically, we'll be looking at Isaiah chapter 59. So if you're flipping over on your phone, it's going to be Isaiah 59. But I want you to keep your finger in Ephesians because we'll go back to that. Okay? So Isaiah 59. Now, in Isaiah, we have the prophet talking about his view of his society. So he's talking to the Israelites and he's saying there is a separation. There is a great separation between the people of God and their God. And he points to their sin. And he points to their sin as that separation. And he points to something that I think will relate very much. That that society, he said, was full of violence, of lies, of injustice, of empty arguments, of manipulation, and especially this one, eagerness to do evil. So Isaiah is pointing to the reality, what is happening around them. And he's able to point out the fact that in that society there was violence, there is injustice, and people seem to be just ready to do evil. And then he says this, so Isaiah 59, verse 9. So justice is far from us, and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Now, have you ever been there? Have you ever looked around, looked at our society, looked at our world, and thought the same thing the prophet is saying? That sometimes it's just hard to see some light. Sometimes it's just hard to see some brightness. That all we tend to see 
is corruption, is people using their power to take advantage of those that are weak. We see sexism, we see racism. Um, you see religious groups going against other religious groups. Do you guys get the point? See, he's kind of looking at the society and just seeing all of this pain. But he doesn't stop there. So I want you to go to verse 15. Because he does something, I would say, even outrageous. He proclaims something that is... Um, sometimes to our modern eyes, really, really hard to accept. So verse 15, and I'll read 15 through 17. The Lord looked and was displeased. There was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. And his own righteousness sustained him. Verse 17, he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. See, this is a very sophisticated argument Isaiah is doing. He's actually pointing to the pain and suffering in the world. And instead of trying to explain all of that suffering and pain, he's able to see that this is not just a physical problem, that there is a spiritual reality present here. And he goes on to say something that has really uh, impacted me in my life. And that is that he argues that God is willing to intervene. Now, this is an important point, and for, for me, um, personally, I, I want to be honest, is something that I had a really hard time coming to grasp with. Um, since the age of 18, I experienced a series of traumatic events that really shaped the way I saw the world. And it happened for a few years, and one of the clear things that I developed during that time was the sense that nobody was there to protect me. Right, you know, as a kid and experiencing something traumatic, I got to a point that I thought, you know what, I don't think my parents are there to protect me. Ultimately, that goes even deeper, right? Because it's not just about my parents. The fact is, I felt that God was not there to protect me. And further, when I read this, it's really hard because when I hear it, what I see is, why didn't God intervene? Now, if this is where you are, I want you to hear this. This message, and it is my hope that it is an opportunity to rekindle a sense of curiosity in you rather than to lead you to skepticism. If you've experienced something like this, I want you to, to know that there are men and women in this church that is willing to walk with you, not just to tell you not to feel the way you feel, but actually to walk with you. Because this is one thing that I experienced as I walked with other 
followers of Christ is that they spoke into me a reality that I could not come up with my own thinking. And I want to say this. As I experienced that, I was able to be transformed by it. And to actually to be able to see and look that, yes, God did care for me then, and he continued to care for me, and he is willing to intervene. So I think there is a journey, and I would like for you to know that this is the place to walk that journey. Now, what does it mean for God to intervene then? If he is willing to do it, what does it look like? Well, you can see the connection that the author is doing between Isaiah and Ephesians. He even used the same terminology to point out to righteousness as a breastplate and salvation as a helmet. There is a clear understanding from the first readers that, okay, there is a connection here. But what does it look like for the Ephesians? And ultimately, what does it look like for us? See, I believe that he makes an astonishing claim. That he brings that imagery from Isaiah of an armor and claims that God gives that armor to us as a church community. Now, I've heard about this passage several years ago, and I'll be completely honest, the way that I understood that passage was very different than what I come to believe now. So I used to think that the armor was all about my faith, my individual faith. I thought that this armor was about my individual righteousness, my individual salvation, my individual peace, my individual evangelism, my individual understanding of God's word, but that is not what the author is actually arguing for. And hopefully today we'll be able to unpack that. I believe that that individual view comes from our Western modern perspective that is very individualistic and very natural, right? You know, it's things that we can measure, things that we are in control of. But he is making an argument here that God is giving us an armor. And let me read this because I think this is important. It is given to us individually and as a church, but it is fashioned and sustained by God himself. So this armor is given to us, but it is fashioned and sustained by God himself. So here are the three points that I'm making, right? The first one is that the author is using this analogy of a Roman soldier to ground us on something that we know that is the Roman soldier that points to God as a spiritual warrior that is willing to come down and intervene. But then the third point, and I think the most radical point is that he gives this armor to us as a church and we become the embodiment of Christ on earth. We become that presence in this planet. Now, how do we become that presence? I'm gonna use this word probably several times, so I want you to go ahead and know that I'm doing it on purpose. Now, 
one, the key word that I want us to focus on is rely or to be reliant upon. So if you have kept your finger on Ephesians, I want you to go back because I'm going to go over each one of the characteristics of this armor of God. So first, we rely on his truth. Not our truth, but his truth. And a few chapters earlier, Ephesians uh, gives us this perfect image that I want to read to you. Ephesians 4, 21 and 25, through 25 say, when you heard about Christ and were thought in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were thought with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25 is key here. How do we put this into practice? Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Do you see? We rely on his truth. Now, we also rely on his righteousness. And I want to point out that this righteousness is much less about being right and more about having a godly attitude and a godly response to injustice. This righteousness as being a godly response to injustice. It's actually a yearning for justice. Can you think of Ephesians or of Isaiah and how God looked and he didn't see that people had that godly desire for justice. They were actually rushing to do evil. And we see this in our society, right? It's not hard to see that. But I want us to think about it in this way. Injustice moves God to intervene and act. What the author of Ephesians is calling us to do is to do the same. As we put on his armor, we are moved. We develop a yearning for those that are suffering. We develop that kind of righteousness. We rely on his peace. And I'm gonna go back and just read to you guys a quick verse in Isaiah that I think it speaks to a different way of looking at this kind of peace and gospel peace. It says in, in chapter 52, verse seven, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. That's a powerful thing to think about because so much of our work is to proclaim good news that that separation between us and God, that that conundrum that 
when we see things around us, there's only suffering and pain, there's actually a different way of looking at it, that there is a God that reigns. Uh, Last week, Andrew talked about this. He said, the ground disputed by the enemy is God's. That is why we don't march. We stand. The church is here to stand for the victory already won. The idea that we have this armor not to go out and do God's work and expand his kingdom out of our own strength is pretty clear. We are the ones that come and announce that the victory has been already achieved. And that's such a beautiful place to be, to be able to know and to share with someone that, yes, there's so much pain, but there is victory, and victory already exists. Now, we also talk about uh, in Ephesians, if you want to go back, uh, we have to rely on his faith, or a better way of reading it, his faithfulness. Now, here we have a shield in God, and his faithfulness is our shield in battle. Um, I was thinking of you know, this idea of God's faithfulness in battle, and I came across this verse that I think is really, really powerful. Um, it's on Lamentation, uh, chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. And there, I want to give you guys a context for it. It's a moment in which Jerusalem has fallen. And their con- country, you know, their capital city is white. And people are actually going into slavery because of this loss. And this is what the author of Lamentation says. The steadfast, of the, lo- the steadfast love of the love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Right, it's when we are in that moment that we are on our knees that you know this song really has some power. Right, that we can be able to to say in the middle of the night, tomorrow, my reliance on God is going to be renewed, and God is going to meet me there. We rely on his salvation. Now, I'll be honest with you. Um, I had this perspective, especially because it talks about a helmet. Um, I had this perspective about um, salvation that was very similar to the uses that we have for helmets today. And that is, I'm about to do something very dangerous that I probably should not be doing. So in order for me not to completely die from doing this, I'm gonna put a helmet, which never made sense. And I don't know if you guys have or own motorcycles, but for me, it's like, okay, I'll have my head, but what about my body? You know, do I need a, you know, the rest of the armor? You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't own a motorcycle, so you guys understand. But that's kind of my idea of this salvation. Think of it like insurance. Something that I kind of, I have now. You know, I kind of pay a little bit every week, but I really have no use for it. It's mainly like, 
if things go badly someday in the future, I'll be okay. That's kind of how I read this idea of salvation first, but that's not necessarily how it's actually being uh, portrayed. Um, Think of it as the saving power of God and focus on the ING part of saving. It's a type of liberation as God showing himself as the liberator. Now, this can come and become very true if you have experienced this type of liberation, that if you have struggled with sin for several years and then God comes and delivers you, and now you're in recovery, and you're experiencing life in a different way, or you have experienced for most of your life a works-based type of religiosity, and now you feel liberated to actually not just wait for this day in which God and everything is gonna be okay, but you understand life as a liberating day-by-day experience in which you surrender yourself to God. See, we rely on this salvation today and forever. And then finally, we rely on his spirit and word. Now, I know you have probably all of your fingers kind of holding Bible verses, but this is the last time I'll go back to Isaiah 59. So if you go back to Isaiah 59, um, that's going to be on verse 21. I think this is a beautiful passage that really helps us to have a perspective on this spirit and word that is actually transformational in our life today. It says, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you. And my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips and the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever. I love, like I said, I love this verse, but I don't know about you. This is not the kind of verse that it's like, oh yeah, this is how I put it into practice. You know, it's not that clear. So for me, and you might find it different for you, but for me, this meant that I had to tackle a big problem in my life, and that is uh, negative self-talk. Now, I don't know about you guys, but um, I treated myself inside my head in ways that I would not treat anybody else. It was just, I was really mean toward myself. Now, I, I joke about this, but it's so true. If I worked for someone that speaked to me, that spoke to me, the way that I spoke to myself, I would quit. Do you relate to that? It's like if your boss said things to you that you yourself tell yourself when you mess up, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's the key. I need to leave. Now, that is important because that's so much noise. Right? There's so much noise within my head that I could not hear God's spirit. I could not hear God's word. It was just a little bit more noise in the middle of a lot of noise. So I had to rely on people like you 
that could speak truth into my life, and I have to privilege your words versus my own word. Does that make sense? I had to rely on God using you, God using scripture, God using so many people to tell me, Douglas, you're a good man. Douglas, you're loved. Douglas, God cares for you. I had to experience that from the outside. And then as I experienced more of that, God's word becomes alive. And I can rely on it. And I can say that I started to hear things that rung of truth, things that rung of righteousness, of peace, of faithfulness, and of salvation. God used his armor to transform the way I saw the world. So, the key here is relying. Now, I talked a lot about relying and um, landing the plane right now and we are almost done, but I want you to think about this. We are called to do this as a church, as a community, rather than individual beings out there fighting this spiritual war against an enemy that's much more capable of doing this than us. So I want us to remind and even to prepare ourselves for that, that this armor is actually seen when we are in community. And my hope is this, that we as a community may be just like a Roman soldier. That, you know, people in the first century, they could look at a Roman soldier from a mile away and they could know them by their armor. I cannot imagine how powerful it would be for the church to be known from a mile away because of God's truth, because of our yearning for justice, because of our reliance that God is the one that will protect and rescue us. So that's my hope for us as a church. I'm going to pray, and if you want, you can stand. And we're just going to surrender ourselves to God because it's his armor. It's not necessarily, we don't fashion this armor and we just accept it. And I hope that this armor will not only transform your own personal life, but the life of our church. So let's stand, we'll pray, and then we're going to communion. There are tables prepared uh, for us. This is such a good imagery of us relying on God, taking on the actual presence of Jesus that shows up in this earth and intervenes on our behalf. So let's pray and then we'll go into communion. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you come close. We're grateful that you you chose to come near. You chose to claim us and that you protect us. You give us an armor. You give us a new identity.
Father, I am so grateful for each person that is here. You know exactly where they are in this journey. And it is my prayer that we as a community may be your representation on this earth. Thank you, Father. In the name of your Son that we pray, amen.